The Men's Room, a talk sport podcast in partnership with Toolstation. From masculinity to mental health, friendship to fatherhood, join Tom Skinner and Neil Razor Ruddock for the podcast that gets to the nuts and bolts of what it really means to be a man. Listen and follow now via your preferred podcast portal. The Men's Room, in partnership with Toolstation. Save 5% on everything you need for a whole month with the new Toolstation Club. Join today online, in-store or via the app. Yeah, hold that please, level 5, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi, nice to meet you. Hi, now the most important thing to know is to Ertz and the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what, sorry? The single most important thing is to Ertz and the Channelized Bimbingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chattel sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. And welcome to the following on podcast from Talk Sport. I'm John Norman, and today bringing you a special show, a preview to the T20 World Cup, a conversation that took place as part of our coverage of the first ODI on Talk Sport 2 between India and South Africa. South Africa ended up winning the match by nine runs, but there was a delay, two and a half hours. Uh, before we got underway because of rain in and around uh, look now where the game was taking place. So we took advantage of uh, the uh, the pause and myself, Jarrah Kimber and uh, the former IPL player Abhishek Junjunwala uh, got together just to run our eye over some of the main teams that uh, will be taken to the field uh, very shortly in Australia. Most of them actually uh, in the country already. So we talk about uh, Australia's chances uh, the strengths and weaknesses uh, of Pakistan, whether India's bowling uh, looks uh, a little bit too light to, to compete, whether England are over-reliant uh, on their batting and uh, whether New Zealand are going to be, uh, well, New Zealand and uh, surprise us all. It's uh, all in here over the next uh, 45 minutes or so as uh, we bring you this uh, T20 World Cup special show on the following on podcast. We've got the uh, T20 World Cup getting underway in Australia uh, in a couple of uh, weeks' time. Indeed, the, uh, the pre-tournament qualifier week, uh, which is technically part of the tournament itself, but then also isn't, um, it gets underway before then. But uh, plenty to look at. Uh, the India side has arrived in India. The T20 side isn't taking place. So all those white ball players that are part of the T20 World Cup, they won't be playing in this ODI series with South Africa. Uh, but they are a man short, Abhishek, because of an injury to Jasprit Bumrah. We're not quite sure of the severity of it. There's been differing stories uh, coming out of uh, the Indian camp. At first, when it was first released, uh, it seemed like he might miss, uh, indeed, not just the T20 World Cup, but the, uh, the Test Series, eagerly awaited Test Series against Australia, which is scheduled for February, March. So, um, you know, that uh, is an indication of how serious the problem is. Then came news that he might actually be fit for the T20 World Cup, only for that to be uh, quashed. So uh, he's not part of the squad. Indeed, I think India have flown with just a 15-man squad. They're still to make a decision over who will be his replacement. But in and amongst that, and it's a huge blow for India, of course, to have their strike bowler ruled out of such a prestigious event. But there's rumblings about this side anyway, isn't there? There's uh, a feeling that maybe... 
A couple of players are there for, by reputation alone. Possibly some are coming towards the end of their T20 career. Is it one tournament too late? Uh, certainly some people I've been speaking to are uh, very gloomy in their outlook about how well India are going to go. But on paper, at least, they still pose a huge threat. So uh, so what's the feeling in and around the, ca- um, uh, in and around the camp, would you say? Yeah, I think uh, it's a massive blow for India. Just with Dumra, we know how important he is. Not just not at in the power play, but how important he is at the back end of the innings because his two overs or three overs at the back end turns things completely for India. And with him being out of the tournament, it's going to be a massive blow. I think most likely it looks like it's going to be Mohamed Shami. Again, he's going through some fitness test. If he's fit, they should take him because he's had a good IPL. He's transformed himself in white ball cricket in the last few years. And with all the experience, he's played in Australia. He knows the conditions well. So he's somebody they should definitely look into. They will look into. But yeah, still, I mean, as you said, a couple of guys who should they be there? There's a question mark with it. Should they have taken a few more young blood who can play with more freedom and who's done exceptionally well in the last few years for playing for India and in IPL? I think Sanju Samson is one of them. I think he should have definitely been on that flight because he's somebody who's very good against short bowling. And in Australia, you need players like him who, are, who can play the short ball and take the bowlers on. And to not take him into the squad, I think that's a massive blow. Well, let's have a look at that squad. So Rohit Sharma, the captain, K.O. Rahul um, will uh, open the batting, I imagine. Uh, Virat Kohli, of course. Questions over uh, how much T20 cricket he's got left in him, certainly at international level. Surya Kumar Yadav, Deepak Huda, Rishabh Pant, uh, Dinesh Kartik. Uh, there's an interesting one there, how he's been refashioned. Uh, Hardik Panja, always uh, worth watching. Yuzrendra Shahal, R. Ashwin, Aksar Patel, Bhuvneshwar Kumar, Harshal Patel and Arshdeep Singh. Singh, an interesting one. There was this... Um, Social media, you could take things out of context so easily, can't you? There was, it was towards the back end of a game recently where Twitter was ablaze saying that uh, essentially Rohit Sharma had been disrespectful to Singh. Um, Singh had gone for a few, uh, but he's certainly played brilliantly in that first T20 against uh, South Africa. He's certainly one to, uh, to keep an eye on. Some felt that Mohamed Shami should be in the side irrespective of whether Jasprit Bumrah was there or not. It's expected, you're right, that Shami comes in. But if Samson was to play, and you know, hopefully we're going to see him today, who does he come in for? I would, I would go at the top of the order with him. I would play him at number three where Virat Kohli is playing at the moment because we have seen what he has done over the last few years. Whenever he's got an opportunity, yes, his international career hasn't really taken off the way you would, you would expect it to. But again, I think the team management has been a bit unfair on him as well. They haven't given him proper chance, given him a long run. Uh, like a lot of others who have got a very, very long run and got themselves to settle down quite nicely. And with Sanju Samson, I just feel that they have been a bit unfair. And, and he's a game changer. He's an exciting player and he can take the game away very quickly through the op- oppositions. Virat Kohli, good news. He's back in form. He scored runs in the last couple of series. But still, I still have doubts with a couple of players in that, in that squad. What, where, the, where are the doubts? Is it, is it the age of the squad? Is it the... Is it the bowling stock? I mean, on paper, as I say, that first 11, you know, it's got bags of experience. Yeah. It's, it's, won, it's won more than it's lost. I think it's also the current, current form. I'm a bit concerned with Rohit Sharma's form, to be honest. Though he's the captain, he's leading the side. But his top of the, top of the order, he has not really fired in the last, last couple of series. Odd innings here and there. But 
that puts a bit of pressure. KL Rahul, yes, we have seen him score a few runs in the last series, but again, his intent, his strike rate is always a concern. In some matches, he will come out and play those shots, which, and which makes you wonder, why can't you bat like this every time? But then suddenly he gets into a shell in some of the games. So I think the opening will be a massive concern from India and how well they bat in this tournament uh, will really determine the, the, the fortunes for India. Bowling again is a big concern. Yudhavindra Chahal, we have seen that people are really trying to go after him now and they've got, they've got, I think, they, they now Yudhavindra Chahal really, really worked well in India with slow pitches and with low pitches sometimes where the ball is not coming onto the bat, but Australia will be a completely different ball game where the ball will bounce a bit more, you can get under the ball, you can get more elevation to get those shots. Uh, they will heavily depend on Surya Kumar Yadav, but again, I've got question marks on him as well. Because he's unbelievable in subcontinent. We know how well he can bat on those placid belter of tracks. But again, when he goes to Australia, can he acclimatize himself that quickly with that extra bit of pace and extra bit of bounce? That's again going to be a big question mark. Though he's an unbelievable player. He's my favorite player. But again, how quickly can he adapt to those conditions will be... Yeah, we'll have to keep a close eye on that. Jared's there with us as well for this chat. I mean, that India haven't performed, have they, in recent uh, in the Asia Cup? They were beaten by Pakistan. They were beaten by Pakistan and New Zealand. Effectively knocked out of the tournament uh, at the T20 World Cup. Um, and when was that? Was that October last year? Yeah. It wasn't that long ago, was it? But they they're going to be under pressure straight away, aren't they, Jared? Because you know they play Australia first up at the Gabba, uh, and then they play their old their old nemesis at the same ground. New Zealand a couple of days later and then they've got Pakistan at the MCG so you know that's going to be difficult in itself but you know from your perspective how do you assess how do you assess the side is there a feeling that's that they're kind of like on the downward curve um, they've been a most successful T20 team for a long time now I think for the last six or seven years and they haven't won anything alright and they play a really conservative game plan weirdly enough it seems to work for New Zealand so New Zealand get to tournaments, play a very conservative game plan and overachieve. New Zealand, uh, India turn up to tournaments, play conservative all the way through, get to major tournaments and underachieve. So what, is there something missing within that team? And I think when you look at, you know, I mean, I would say Perth for sure is, is a better opening option and KL Raul and, and him together, the old KL Raul before they ruined him as well. Um, and Rishabh Pant, you just throw all those guys in with Sky, with Surikuma, um, and you just throw all those guys in together. I don't know how anyone can catch that team, but instead, we've still got Rohit Sharma there, who's... Rohit Sharma's slightly better than a replacement-level international opener. We know how skillful he is, but he doesn't play that game in T20 cricket. He's a better test player now than he is a T20 player. So, I, I, and, and I think Raul Dravid's come in and tried to revolutionise the way they play, but they've almost got one foot stuck on one side and one on the other. So if you look at their, their team, John... Rishabh Pant and KL Raul should be two of the 10 best T20 players in the world. KL Raul was told to play more defensively, played with some terrible IPL teams, got to the Indian team, they told him to play like an anchor. Rishabh Pant, Ricky Ponting seems to have put a muzzle on him. I don't even understand the way he plays anymore. The talent is there, but they don't think about T20 cricket correctly. I don't think they're the only team in that, in, in, in that environment that does it. I think Australia is the same. The thing is, though, there's so much talent in India and Australia. Even if they're not firing 100%, um, there's still always a chance of winning one of those tournaments. And Australia won the last one, despite the fact that it might have been one of the world's biggest flukes. They still have so much talent in that side. I mean, Australia turned up at the last World Cup and, and put Mitch Marsh at number three because they basically run out of people to put there. 
right? And he ends up winning the World Cup final for them. Yeah, and Australia won every single game that they chased, didn't they? Mm. Yeah. They lost, and oh. they lost. The one game they lost was the one that they didn't, and it was also the one that I think they picked Ashton Agar, which. Don't get me started on Ashton Agar. But, oh, uh, mate, we've got time. Mitch, Mitchell Stark, Mitchell Stark uh, is the, he carried them as a white ball team for about five years. And he has the worst game of his career with a white ball in his hand, and they win the World Cup final. I mean, it just shows you that India and Australia had the ability to get it wrong and still win. The difference is that when India get to that top level in those tournaments, it just isn't, hasn't been clicking. I think the last time that they looked, what, unassailable in, in a World Cup, I, I mean, maybe 2015, they looked really good. They ran into Australia. Almost every time you've looked at a World Cup, you're just like, there's just other teams that look better. On paper, they're still incredibly talented. I mean, Mohamed Shami, is, they shouldn't be winning a World Cup with Mohamed Shami in their 11, but they're probably going to have to go in with that. Um, they have flexibility. Like, if they had a full fit team with Akshar Patel, with Ravi Jadeja, uh, with Hardik Pandya, even Shardul's more occasional batting and bowling, they actually have an incredibly flexible lineup. They can use Ashwin as a, as a pinch uh, blocker like Rajasthan did last year. There's there's huge flexibility w- within them. And I think Raul Dravid believes in all that. But at the moment, he's still got Vera and Rohit Sharma, which is the old school T20 way. So they're stuck between two different methods. Who's taking the wickets for India in the, in the power play in Australia? Washington Sundar. No, he's not there. Um, uh, yeah, it's a fair question. I think uh, I would say this, that the, um, the ball's nipping around a lot at the moment. And if they can get Boovy, um, uh, you know, with that ball, a little bit of wobble seam, a little bit swinging it away, swinging it in, he could take a couple of wickets. But they don't have a great power play bowling lineup. I think this World Cup could be dominated by the teams who take uh, a lot of early wickets because the last couple of years, the ODI, uh, ODI and T20 averages in the power plays have dropped because Kookaburra changed the ball um, and it started seeming around a lot more. Um, so that could be a concern. But maybe then if you have Mohamed Shami and, Bo- uh, and, and Bouvi or whoever they want uh, uh, at the front and you just throw that four or five overs of seam and they can get you in front of a few games. But it's not. On paper, it doesn't look great. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't. Uh, and if you're playing Mohamed Shami and Bouvi both, you have to bowl them three overs each in the first 12 or 14 overs because we know they go for plenty, both of them, especially Bouvi and Mohamed Shami both. They go at 12-15 and over when they bowl at the death. So the big concern would be if they, they don't use Ashdeep in the power play where he really swings the ball both ways and he's somebody who can get you those quick wickets. And if you play these three, then who do you bowl when? That's the biggest question for India because you can't afford to give Mohamed Shami bowling after the 15th over because he's, he can lose your games single-handedly if he's bowling any time after the 15th. I, I think his uh, international economy rate is 9.5 yeah. or, or something yeah. like that. Like he. The thing with Mohamed Shami is everyone knows how good he is. And you watch him and you go, oh, he's great. But then you look at his numbers and you do start to go, well, let's just work it back. Last couple of years in the IPL, he's been good. But I think a lot of it is, I think they would have been better off with um, Umran Malik in this side. Not because he's better than some of these guys or more experienced than some of these guys, but he could have bowled in the middle, uh, which would allow more flexibility for the rest of their seamers. The problem is they've got three guys who want the new ball who are probably going to be their three best seamers, yeah. had, and then no one really at the death, and they don't have those players. It's not by accident. Boomer has been holding their death bowling up for a long time now. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you can't have Hardik Pandya bowling at the death because Hardik Pandya is pretty decent in the middle over. He can yeah. come and bump people out in Australia with that extra bit of bounce. Yeah, he does the, the Marcus Stoinis yeah, role. Yeah, exactly. For two overs, he'll 
more bounces yeah. and he'll be fine. And he might get a wicket or two and, and his economy might be okay. But yeah, India, the biggest concern for India, I think that more than the first six overs, the concern for India with this bowling lineup is the last six. Who's going to bowl the last six? Yeah, but it, that problem is because of that first six. So yeah, they absolutely. really need they really need to, to be taking two, three wickets consistently at, at the top. Uh, with Chahal, I'm, I, I'm not too worried about him in Australia because he is a slow leg spinner, but that does happen in Australia. And because of the bigger boundaries, you do have a, you know, a little bit more out there. And we've seen, you know, uh, we've seen people like... Um, uh, some of the Austra- slower Australian, because Australian leg spinners are usually a bit slower than Asian leg spinners, um, that they've gone quite well in Australia. So I don't think that's as much of a problem. But there is, right at the moment, being that you have, that this new ball is so dominant, there's a lot of Asian, uh, or, uh, with them in Sri Lanka, they're both good teams, and they've both played some good cricket over the last you know couple of years. Um, I don't know how that translates directly to Australia, where you really you can go for 80 runs in the last uh, you know five or six overs um, in some of those Australian grounds if you don't have good death bowlers. And I just don't see the lineup looking great. But I w- one thing I will say, um, Abhishek, is that if if Boovy's in form, he can bowl at the death. But him and Arshdeep need to be at peak form for that to work. Yeah, you're expecting them to be at the absolute top yeah. of the game. Yeah, because Bo- old Boovy would be fine yeah, with yeah. Arshdeep. Yeah. Arshdeep's such an interesting bowler because you look at him and you, you do think, oh, look at him, he looks like a club bowler, right? And then you look at his record and you're just like, well, eventually this is either a fluke or he's doing something right, right? And he has been, but he's probably, I think if I was a top, top level international batter, I'd still be like, I don't mind facing him. So tell us, for listeners who aren't, you know, necessarily on top of who Arshdeep Singh is. Uh, tell us a little bit more about him. So he, he's a left arm, probably be fair to say medium fast bowler. I, I think you'd be pushing it to say fast medium. He swings the new ball. He's, he's quite interesting because he's not deadly accurate. And guys who are usually far, a medium fast have to be deadly accurate. He's a little loose with his bowling. But because he's left arm and he moves the ball up front, he can get wickets. Where he's really good at the back is bowling to right-hand batters and bowling uh, off cutters, which are leg cutters to a right-hand batter, which means that when you're, you basically, it's like trying to hit someone bowling 115-kilometer left-arm finger spin, and the ball's spinning away from you. Um, and he has the ability to do that, plus he's good enough to just, you know, uh, bowl some good straight Yorkers, and he's a very clever bowler, even if he's not that accurate. He's, he's a really surprisingly good player over a long period of time in the IPL. We see a lot, you, you, Abhishek, we see this all the time. We see a bowler come through and they take a bunch of wickets in their first IPL season. Everyone gets excited and you're looking going, well, he's not, I don't know what his main skill is. How's this going to be, how's he going to re- repeat this? To be fair for Arshdeep, we're now three, four years in and he's still doing really well. He can go for runs, but because he's constantly taking the ball away from right-handers, he's always a threat of wickets at the end and that's usually his main skill at the end. Yeah, I think he's a very skillful bowler. Uh, initially, as you said, he swings the ball both ways so keeps the batsman guessing at all times. At the death, he's got a very good yorker when he, when he gets it right and as you said, it's very important that Bhuvi and Arshdeep are both at the top of the peak of their game for India to be able to do well in the World Cup, especially at the death overs. I think they got very excited with Harshal Patel. India got very, very excited with Harshal Patel uh, for what he has done in the last few uh, years in the IPL. They thought he might be the solution in the death overs. Recently, they found out everyone is playing him as a slower bowler. No one really expects a fast delivery from him. 
Well, the problem with him yeah. was is that he wasn't actually a desk bowler yeah. for RCB. His best yeah. bowling is earlier in that bit when you're trying to knock him around. Exactly. Um, one thing I would say for him is he should do well in, in Australia because you've got the bigger grounds and he bowls. He probably bowls the most similar we've seen to Dwayne Bravo, right? In that he's, It's not that he's deceiving with his slow balls because they're so obvious. It's that he gets so much drop. And in Australia, Bravo always did well because it's really hard to... If you, to keep your shape and still hit a six when the boundary is 70 and 80 metres away, right? So Harshal Patel might be handy, but he's not a death bowler. You really want him to be your third death bowler and use him for a couple of overs, and that's the problem. Arshjeet shouldn't be your main death bowler either. Boovi can't be, and, and Mohamed Shami probably doesn't want to bowl there at all, right? He so, doesn't want to bowl. <laughs> it's not ideal. Yeah, it's not ideal. At all. So, yeah, that's the biggest question for India, but I think if they want to win games, they have to win with their batting. They have to heavily depend on their batting and they'll, they'll expect the likes of Dinesh Karthik and few others in the back end and Hardik Pandya to come good for the team. And I think Sky got to have the best tournament. Surya Kumar Yadav has to play out of his skin the way he's played, playing in the last one year for India to have any chance to win this World Cup because I don't see Rohit Sharma or Virat Kohli winning the World Cup for India. No, they have some flexibility because of the all-round options. So they can, they can play Hardik as... A full-time bowler, which is a risk, but but they could try that, which, which means that they then can have Akshar Patel and R Ashwin in the side, which means at eight. So if if it if they lose wickets in the middle, they can send Ashwin up to face the spinners, and then they can save Akshar at the end. Akshar's a bit like Pat Cummins, beautiful hitter of pace, not a but batter, but a beautiful hitter of pace, which means that the guys at the top can go a bit harder, knowing that they've got two lots of insurance behind them. So that is a risk because of what Hardik is, but. Hardik's also the sort of person that if you tell him to be the fifth bowler, he, he will give it everything he has yeah. to be able to do that. Certainly, John, as you said before, Hardik Pandya is one to watch. Certainly is. Um, so what about England then? I mean, if Australia are favourites, India possibly second favourites? Um, Pakistan might be second favourites. Do you think Pakistan would be second favourites? Well, Kath, Kath, I, I love nodding away. I love watching the brand of cricket they play, to be honest, at the moment. I absolutely love what Pakistan does. Uh, yeah. Barbarism. Are they, are they, you say that India's batting is going to have to win them the, the World I Cup. I think so. India's bowling is not winning them. But Pakistan, I think they've got pretty much all aspects covered. They've got a great bowling unit, good dead bowling, batting. Yeah, some terrific batters. So I, I genuinely think they have got a very, very good chance. Uh, it's all about can they do it in Australia. Subcontinent, they've been brilliant. But the big question is when the ball bounces a bit more, when there's a bit more pace, can they do it? That's quite a big question, though, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I think if Pakistan's going to win, it's going to have to be bowling-led because their top order will get them sizable totals, but nothing that's going to scare anyone. And their middle order hasn't made runs in so long. Uh, it, I mean, I, we never know what Asif is going to do. he make 40 off eight balls or something. But, you know, there's certainly an issue there. But that bowling means that if they can make an... In Australia, I think the par score in Australia is about 163 at the moment, right? Pakistan could probably hit that every game. And then, if their bowlers have... They only need one of their four 90-mile-an-hour bowlers to have a day, and then the spinners to back them up. They just put so much pressure on you. So, they, my big fear with them is they could actually pick a slightly better batting lineup to match with their bowling lineup. They're putting so much pressure on their bowlers bowling people out. But I still think... You know, with, with what happened with England and injuries in the last World Cup, Pakistan should have won that last World Cup. And they almost beat Australia. And Australia basically fluked their way past, past them in that semi-final when Marcus Stoinis hit the ball off Shadab Khan and it went an inch over deep mid-wickets um, head. If that's caught, 
Australia probably lose that game by 60 runs. Um, and Pakistan probably blitz New Zealand in the final. So I think there's, there's certainly... I, I think they're really good. Having said that, how their game translates to Australia again, the fast bowlers won't be a problem. We know they've dominated the Big Bash, their fast bowlers. Shane Afridi's not going to be a problem. How are their batters going to handle it? But the difference is that Rizwan and Baba are proper, talented batters. They've, they've got Shan Masood in the side, which is kind of like, you know, a tapping... A bit of culture. Well, it's almost like tapping Dom Sibley and going, do you want to come out for the World Cup? Uh, <laughs> you know, for a bit of fun. But... Um, They've gone with, ta- I think they've gone with talent in their batting rather than hitting with their ballot batting so that they can get to 140, 160 every game and they throw the ball to whatever 90 mile an hour guy happens to be fit on the day and tell him to rip through everyone. Well, it, the, the last uh, World Cup really became a little bit of a mockery in the end, didn't it? Because it, chasing just seemed to be so, well, it just seemed to be the way, where you wanted to be. Um, do, you, do you expect the same kind of thing to happen with this T20 World Cup? Do you think that the balance has gone a little bit much? Ma- you may mention the fact that the ball has changed slightly. Bigger grounds as well. Yeah. Do you, how do you see the tactics of this T20 World Cup in uh, comparison to the one that we had 12 months ago? I think the one last time was a bit of a fluke because even in UAA cricket, it's not usually that you shouldn't usually be that favoured when you're chasing. But Australia shouldn't have it. Australia doesn't have due very often. So there's one thing that changes um, in that. Also. The quality of lights in Australia is actually usually better than some uh, some places uh, around the world as well, and it's clearer at night, so you don't have the sort of a smoke haze that you might get in, in UAE and some of, some of the other places as well, and you don't get freezing cold like you do in the UK in, in night games. So, so I think it should be a fairer co- contest between whether you want to bat first and not bat first. We we we've touched on Australia, Jared, but they're the holders. They're playing at home. They seem to have a very settled side, although, of course, there's a little bit of question marks over Aaron Finch. But the big topic, not quite the same as Joffre Archer coming in for David Willey at the 11th hour, but, you know, there's an injury to Marcus Stoinis, and some people are thinking that could be quite a good opportunity for the new Great White Hope, really, an all-rounder star. We've seen him in and around the, the longer format, but how Cameron Green actually isn't in that T20 side was a surprise to many anyway. But, uh, yeah, how do you assess Australia going into this, uh, this tournament? So Cameron Green's strike rate before he destroyed India was 107 in T20 cricket. That's why he's not in the squad. Oh, oh how, big, how big a... He played 15 games, um, but going back to, like, I think 2018 or 2019, he, the reason he hadn't played, though, is because he hadn't done anything. Like, he just had, you know, it wasn't an accident he wasn't playing. And part of the problem was that they were batting him in the middle order. And if you look at the way he plays, and you know, Abhishek will be able to talk about this, he's basically a big, strong guy with a big stride who hits through the line. Those guys you kind of want at the top because he could chip the ball for four and six. And they were sending him in at six and seven. Even in their second 11 games, he wasn't making any runs. Like, he was struggling everywhere. And part of the reason he was probably batting that low is because he's an all-rounder. Realistically, I don't think you need to treat him that way. And, and obviously, they threw him up the top because it was an experimental squad as much as anything. He's made those runs. I don't think he's the difference between Australia winning the World Cup and not winning the World Cup. It's a huge risk to play a guy who's only played a handful of games in that World Cup. But what he allows for is... Um, um, it would be a shame if Marcus Stoinis goes because Marcus Stoinis was a big reason they won the last World Cup. But realistically, when you have Cameron Green in that side, then it makes it very hard to make an argument that Aaron Finch and Steve Smith should be in the side. And when you leave those two out, 
It's a much better team. I mean, it looks world-class suddenly. You have those two in the team, and it's a bit like Rohit and Virat. You're like, like, we know they're talented, but what, you know. I mean, Aaron Finch has been in terrible form for two years. He, did, he got player in the match of that game the other day for playing maybe the scratchiest T20 knock I've ever yeah. seen and just getting them over the line against the West Indies. Um, and that was batting at number four. So he's already had to move because they already realized that Green's a better opener and Green's not in the squad. Yeah, I think exactly you're right. I think Aaron Finch, uh, we haven't seen him score a lot of runs, though. He's, a, he's, a, he's been a terrific, terrific wide wide player over the years, but in the last couple of years, done really nothing. And hence, he's been batting at number four, and you spoke about his innings. It was a very, very scratchy <laughs> 50 or 47-odd deliveries as well. Yeah, I think Australia with Cameron Green, it does look a very strong side. If Marcus Toynis is not there, he's going to be a massive blow. Marcus Toynis is such an important player, not just with the bat and ball. He's a terrific fielder as well. Uh, in the outfield. So, yeah, he's going to be a massive blow. So, but Australia overall, they, you, you always know they're going to turn up, John. You always know they're going to turn up. They've got such a good talent pool and it's just an exciting team. And for some reason, somebody will always come out there and perform for them. Mm. If, if you think about the team, uh, if, if Stoinis is fit, uh, or even if he's not fit, um, and Cameron Green comes in. They've got Cameron Green, Mitch Marsh, and Glenn Maxwell in their first six batters who can all bowl. They, they will steal four overs out of them. Green is a better bowler than Stoinis, so that, that will be handy if that happens. Um, and then, then they're still going to have Zampa, Cummins, Hazelwood, and Stark as their bowlers. And it doesn't. On, it's a big risk because you, you, you're hoping that your um, your cobbled together part timers don't go for eighty. Um, in their four overs, and but it's working for them. But when you know that you have Hazelwood, who is close to the best one, white ball bowler in the world at the moment, Stark, who was the best white ball bowler in the world for about eight or nine years, Cummins, who when he, they have the ability then to not use him in the positions where he's not suited, he's one of those guys who not very good with the new ball, not very good at the death in the middle. Good luck playing him if you're a number four and you come in and and he's hitting across seam in the middle overs. And Zampa is a very, very high-quality bowler. There's a lot of talent in that team. My worry is that they lose a game and suddenly Steve Smith's batting at three again and Aaron Finch is opening again uh, for them. Um, I've had some chats with the camp. They, I think, want to move on from that thinking. They've got players like you know Josh Phillippe coming through. Tim David getting picked for Australia is a huge thing. For those who don't know, Tim David, a complete late bloomer, played in Western Australia for years. No one ever paid him any attention. Because he was born in Singapore, Singapore rang him up and said, come play in the World Cup. And suddenly, Tim David is hitting sixes for Singapore everywhere. And, and, and he ends up playing in the PSL, the IPL, and the Blast right across the world. Even then, Australia didn't pick him. <laughs> I think he's got a strike rate in the last two years at T20 cricket of 170, right? And he had to do everything to get in that team. Um, the fact that they didn't take a risk on him tells you how conservative they still are. It's clear that Tim David was in one of the best hitters in the world, and it's taken a long time. And I think now they are getting to that point of, let's just pick people who can hit the ball and get them up the order. We've got the bowling to be able to back uh, back it up. And they're lucky that through Maxwell, Stoinis, Green, Mitchell Marsh, you can cheat your four overs at the other The Men's Room, a talk sport podcast in partnership with Toolstation. From masculinity to mental health, friendship to fatherhood. Join Tom Skinner and Neil Razor Ruddock for the podcast that gets to the nuts and bolts of what it really means to be a man. Listen and follow now via your preferred podcast portal. The Men's Room, in partnership with Toolstation. Save 5% on everything you need for a whole month with the new Toolstation Club. Join today online, in-store, or via the app.
Yeah, hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to urge in the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to urge in the Channelized Bimbingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Bread. Okay, so what about England then? How do you assess their challenge, of course? No Johnny Bairstow, huge blow. He's been in absolutely blistering form for such a long time. There's and a few good players not in this World Cup, by the way. Shimron Hetmeyer, Johnny Bairstow, Jasper Brumra, Joffre Archer. Am yeah. I, there's probably a couple of others I'm missing there as well. Well, there's Bucker Zaman didn't get picked either. <laughs> He's a handy player not, not to have in your best 11. Well, there's two English English players you just mentioned. I mean, Archer, actually, I saw a tweet today. He's, he's you know, he's making his way back. He's bowling in the nets. That's obviously a, a fantastic thing to see. But can England win the World Cup without Joffre Archer? Yes, because I think of all the teams in this World Cup, they're the, probably the ones who could have a pass score of 180, 190. I don't know if they can defend it that consistently, but that's going to put a lot of pressure on a lot of teams in this World Cup. I mean, that, you know, the weird thing is they won the 29-team World Cup almost playing against type because they went back to grit and grind cricket <laughs> you know, in the last couple of games. Realistically, they should be able to score at one run and over quicker than any other team in this tournament. Right? In terms of the batting, I'd say Australia are a very strong side, but you'd say that their bowlers dominate. Yep. You know, that's their greatest strength. Um, India batting heavy Pakistan you'd say they're bowling team as well bowling team yep. even in Australian conditions yeah so England I think South Africa's a bowling team too South Africa absolutely a bowling team right so you've got a lot of bowling teams here which means if England can work out how to score 180 against all these teams be interesting to see how many of them will be able to chase it, even with England's weakened bowling lineup. And that's, you know, that that's kind of the risk. They're almost like the anti-Pakistan at a certain point, right? We know they should be able to score more than everyone else, but is that enough because of the the, the pressure they're putting kind of on the other side of the ball? What about the Joss Butler situation? He's good, captain, but he's injured. You know, England have just played a seven-match T20 series. Butler didn't play in any of them. Obviously, we've got three matches against Australia. England have got three matches against Australia to come, but. In terms of his captaincy, Noah Morgan, of course, the results haven't been where they have been. You know, they lost series during the summer against South Africa and, and also India. But where are England with Joss Butler as captain and also Joss Butler as somebody who hasn't played a lot of cricket? I think you've got to give everyone a bit of time. He's trying to, change, he's trying to play his own brand of cricket. He's trying to get the players to buy into his own brand of cricket. Obviously, Owen Morgan has been one of the greatest, success, most successful white ball, white ball captain for England. And now, I just feel that you've got to give him a bit of time and he'll turn out to be a very good captain. And as a player, we cannot really argue about his ability in white ball cricket. He's just one of the best and the cleanest hitter of a cricket ball in world cricket by a distance. 
So I think he'll he'll do a he'll do a good job as a, as a leader, and England really excites everyone in world cricket. Uh, when we talk about young talent, the likes of Harry Brooks, the likes of yeah, Milan is coming to form. Phil Salt has done exceptionally well in this series against Pakistan. So as as Jared was saying, they're very batting heavy team, and if they got to win this World Cup, the batters are going to win the World Cup for them by getting those big totals consistently. And if they can get 180, 190 consistently every game, the most chances are that they're going to win the games because yes, it's not easy for a team to go out there and chase 180, 190 in those massive grounds in Australia. And even though they don't have the strongest of bowling attack, I think they've got these good enough bowling attack to defend those kind of totals. How do you assess the bowling? Because Reece Topley has come back. You'd imagine he would pose a threat. He poses a threat everywhere, but essentially, uh, you can imagine him from his height, left arm, swings a ball, first up. There's a wicket-taking option. You know, if we're talking about taking wickets in the power play, England weren't taking wickets in the power play up until recently, and Reece Topley in there. Mark Wood as well seems to have come back playing and operating at, at the kind of level that we associate with Wood, even though he hasn't played a lot of cricket. That changes the whole complexion for me in terms of this England attack because suddenly it looks like they're going to be taking wickets in the power play, and then they've got the backup, and not just the backup, they've got the variety, because if Stokes is in there, Sam Curran's in there, Rashid's in there, Ali's in there, you've got loads of options if one or two of the bowlers aren't coming off, for, for whatever reason. Who's bowling at the desk for them? It's not, it's not great, is it? I mean, I think their, their strength in Australia is that they should be, if, if Topley can do anything at the top, then Mark Wood can be quite handy in the middle. He should be able to bowl that sort of Liam Plunkett like position what I was talking about before with Umar Malik or um, Pat Cummins uh, in the middle but I'm not sure like Sam Curran in Australia really should go for runs um, so that's a problem uh, Moen Ali and Adol Rashid are, you know do what they do both very, very good I'm not sure they're going to be absolute standout cricketers um, in this particular tournament but you're going to need Reese Topley to have the The, the tournament of his life, Mark Wood to do a role that he's never quite nailed at international level that everyone thinks he can do and then they have to be ahead of the game by the time they get to the death all the time, right? That's the problem for England with the bowling. Now, if they're scoring 20 to 25 to 30 runs more than what other teams would be able to do, they might be able to just create that pressure artificially um, but when you, when you do look at it, when you do look at that lineup, I'm not sure that there's the, the lockdown death bowler uh, that you would particularly want um, going in. I don't think they're going to be 100% confident with any of the death bowls, and that kind of is what cost them last time. We've, sp we've spoken about the big ones, but there is a team that's just won the Asia Cup that's in the qualification week here. I'm not suggesting Sri Lanka are going to be winning the T20 they're World not. Cup. <laughs> but it's great to see that how heartening was it to see? We need, you need strength in world cricket. You can't just have the, the same two, three, four teams dominating. How, how refreshing was it to see Sri Lanka win the Asia Cup. So I don't know if, how many people know this, but Sri Lanka up until when they won the 2014 World Cup, they were by far and away the most successful T20 international team we've ever had. They made two finals. They won one. Uh, they, sorry, they made three finals. They won one of them. We had Malinga. We had obviously Mahela and Kumar, Vas, Murali, uh, Tisara Pereira. They were Angelo Matthews stars over and over and over again. From that point forward until the, la until the last World Cup, so that seven-year period from uh, 2014 to 2017, they won 28% of their matches. Uh, they won a hair's breadth more than Zimbabwe did in the same time. And 
it was it was rough. And a lot of the problems came from the fact that they didn't have a domestic league. <laughs> Everyone else in the world, at least, even if you had a bad domestic league, you had one. And Sri Lanka had the Sri Lankan Premier League, which in 2011 didn't exist. In 2012 had its only season. And then the next two years was suspended and it never came back. None of their players could develop. They weren't playing enough cricket. They weren't playing enough T20. And you looked at the list and you look at Dasan Shananaka and, and, and um, Nirashon Dikwela and... Um, you know, all these, and Hasaranga. I was looking at them in 2018, 2019, going, this is a team. Why is this not working? And it's because none of them have played any cricket. The last uh, two years, they played the most T20 cricket they've ever played. And starting in 2020, they had the Lunken Premier League come in. They've only, it, it's, since the start of that last World Cup, all they've gone is 50 50 with their games. They haven't suddenly become great, they're still a patchy team. But they are back at playing at a level that if you play Sri Lanka in a game now, you worry. Their biggest problem is that Hasaranga and Tikshana are the, the strength of this side, I think. The two bowlers, you know, the mystery finger spinner and the leg spinner who's very hard to pick. I just wonder how that translates. Also, a lot of their batters are brilliant. They've actually got probably even more so than India. They have some of the best hitters of spin in the world at the moment. This is probably not going to be a tournament where you need to hit spin as much. So every, every one of their strengths may not translate here. But they will no longer be an embarrassment. They should, again, absolutely cruise through the qualifying um, early part of this tournament. I think they're, at best, after that, a 50-50 chance. If they can even be in consideration for a semi-final spot, though, that's huge. They're, I've got the odds here. I think they're hovering around 20 to 25 to 1. So, essentially, Australia and India are the two favourites. They're both around 3 to 1 and 4 to 1. Everyone else is... Uh, sorry, England's not far away as well uh, at around uh, 5 to 1. And then you've got South Africa, Pakistan, New Zealand, all at eights. And then you've got West Indies and Sri Lanka, who are around 20 to 1. Uh, if I was going to put money on a 20 to 1 shot, it would not be on the West Indies. I'm not sure who was on the plane. We know who wasn't on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about those other teams, then. So West Indies... Yeah, we don't I mean, have to. They may not qualify now. I mean, Shimron Hetmai was a big part of their team. Um, I, so I just did a huge debrief, uh, you know, a huge uh, research into them. I've done all the qualifying teams. I haven't done the main teams as much. And you're looking at them going, geez, this is, you know. This is going to be ugly. They've got, they've got a tough division in there. They may not qualify for the, for the next lot. That was before Shimron, <laughs> um, who I think is exceptional. So I think. So we should point out that the West Indies are one of those sides, like Sri Lanka, who are essentially they still have to qualify for the main event. Yeah. And they, they, so tell us their group. They're in with Scotland, Ireland, and and Zimbabwe. Yeah, so Zimbabwe's been playing some really good cricket. Well, Zimbabwe just beat Australia Yep. in an ODI in Australia, didn't they? You know, they've got those... They've got a very underrated pace attack that people don't know about. They've obviously got a blessing at Muzurambani, who's... They've what, also got a point to prove, because Zimbabwe should have made it through to the 2019 World Cup, shouldn't they? And yep. they got absolutely sawn off by... A result of a decision against Scotland, I think, and a decision against West Indies. Yeah, so I think, I think you're right. I think they've been playing good cricket. Obviously, they beat Australia of recent times. Uh, you've then got Scotland, who really, I wouldn't say they would be the favourites to, to qualify, but they qualified last time. They should be more suited by playing uh, cricket in, in Australia than they were in the UAE. Um, and then you've got Ireland, who have given West Indies problems at World Cups before. That's a tricky little group, right? And if you don't have Shimron Hetmeyer, they haven't been making any runs, the West Indians, right? Um, we saw that game against Australia the other day. That was 
Sport car was all over the shop, right? Was the, so, you know, I mean, they got to 140 odd and almost won the game. But you look at that scorecard and you're just like, that looks like a West Indies scorecard at the moment. It's like, you hope someone um, comes off uh, rather than it being consistent. Without Shamron Hetmeyer in that side, I worry if they have anyone uh, that is going to be able to make consistent runs unless Nicholas Puran comes back to the Nicholas Puran of 2019-2020. It didn't look like that form to me in the CPL, though. No, he's shown consistency, hasn't he? But he's been holding the innings together more often than not. Which is not his role either. That's part of the problem, isn't it? So he's going to have to play out of position to be able to get the most out of this team. Okay, South Africa, we've just seen them in England. The problems that South Africa have in Test cricket, similar to what they have in T20 cricket, but you'd say that actually their batting is stronger than what we see in Test cricket. You know, they do have David Miller who uh, smashed a 48 ball 100 a week ago. Uh, Riley Russo is back within the side. Obviously, Quinton de Kock plays limited overs cricket, doesn't play test cricket. So they do actually have much more punch than the test team do. But still, Abby, they're going to be reliant on the bowling attack. But then when your bowling attack involves the likes of Nokia and Rabada, that you know, that's not something to be embarrassed about necessarily. Yeah, they've got, yeah, again, they've got one of the best bowling attacks in world cricket, in white world cricket, but batting-wise also, they've got the likes of Aidan Markram, they've got Klaassen, so they've got a batting order to go out there and do the job. Again, on the day, can they do it? That's the, always been the big question with these sides. Can they take the pressure? Can they do in the current situation? When this matters about you winning and qualifying for that top four spot and winning those big games, do they have the temperament to do that that's the big question with these players because they, they played enough cricket but they're still under crunch situation under pressure it takes a different kind of mentality to be able to do that and win games and that's where we have seen over the years South Africa has crumbled and so yeah they've got the team they've got one of the best bowling attacks but the batting has always been the concern with them if they can perform and Australian uh, pitches should suit them as well because they have all very good players of short bowling they love cutting they love pulling so it should work with uh, work for them and they're going to get more more fast bowling than spin that also works in their favor so i think they've got a very good side and i always feel in t20 cricket it's all about that moment any team can beat any team on the day so that's that's always that's always the case with t20 cricket and on papers they look a decent side the interesting thing is that I suppose traditionally we think of Pakistan as the most creative and daredevil team and we think of South Africa as one of the most dour teams. Their lineups are almost identical. The difference is that Pakistan has real, real talent right at the top, um, you know, at the, and two of the best T20 run scorers in the world and then the rest of their batting's a bit, a bit shaky. South Africa just has a lot of really solid guys all the way down and then you've got a bunch of bowlers. But both teams are really bowling heavy. They're going to have to take a lot of wickets um, one of those two sides is probably going to have a good World Cup I'd kind of be surprised if both do if that makes sense just because I think in Australian conditions you're going to have to break through so often just such you know I mean, to be fair the, the bowling average in Australia isn't particularly high but you need to be able to take regular wickets in, in Australia um, one of those attacks will, might struggle and one of them won't but they're really really similar the way they both line up they should be able to both score 140 to 170 almost in every game. If they do that, they should be in, in every game. And both of them, would they lose one game between them in the uh, two two games between them in the last World Cup? Um, the fact that South Africa didn't make the semi-finals and Pakistan wasn't um, 
uh, and, and Pakistan uh, went out in the semi-finals probably makes it look like they had unsuccessful tournaments. They both had really successful uh, tournaments, and I think Pakistan will, might struggle to translate to the Australian conditions, whereas, as Abby said, South Africa shouldn't. Look, we've gone through most of the teams, but of course, you always have to leave to last. Those plucky underdogs, the team that uh, always seem to overperform. Yeah, <laughs> well, I'd say they're better than a plucky underdog, aren't they? Yeah, Namibia. No, no, no. Namibia are definitely a plucky underdog. Well, within the qualification Namibia, stages. Namibia are the New Zealand of Africa. <laughs> Aren't Zimbabwe the New Zealand? Not of, anymore. Okay, Namibia. Namibia have taken that role. Um, New Zealand. They're, they're a, a, so there's a book out at the moment, Crickonomics. Um, which essentially holds up the uh, the way that New Zealand have governed their own game over the last 15 to 20 years. is one of the reasons why they've been so successful. World Test Championship winners, of course. They reached the final of the 50-over World Cup in 2015-2019, reached the uh, T20 World Cup final in 2021. You know, they've, they've, they've number done... Number one in the world for the first time. Number one in the world. Um, and a lot of the reason has been they've been very smart about the way they have essentially governed their own game now they are now about to face you know it's going to be governance too isn't it because whereas they were quite happy to let their players play in the IPL because they don't play cricket in New Zealand when the IPL is on this new tranche of domestic T20 leagues is again going to threaten the very bedrock of their game January and February now taken up by the SA20 the big bash which is which is not actually poached too many players because essentially they were playing for New Zealand so that, that they, they could pay their players to play, to play for New Zealand rather than the Big Bash but they cannot be paying 50 grand a, a game so New Zealand are set for a period of uncertainty and there is a feeling despite that wonderful record that they've had over the last 10 years that the team just seems to be on the decline and at the front of that is Kane Williamson his form of the IPL was horrendous this year. Negative. Negative yeah. <laughs> his, his elbow problems persist. Um, they are losing the likes of Jimmy Neesham and Trent Bolt, Colin de Granholm, three mainstays of their international success, two domestic T20 franchises. So where now for New Zealand, I suppose, is the question, Jared? Yeah, I mean, I think at this stage in every World Cup analysis for the last six years, we look at their squad and we go... How are they going to be any good? And then they end up in the final. <laughs> Daryl who? Yeah. Um, you know, when you see Mark Chapman listed at number two on the list, it's probably not putting too much fear in, 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 the, in the, uh, the minds of the opposition. They play an incredibly, as I, I think we were talking about with India before, they play a really conservative brand of cricket. Um, for whatever reason, that has worked. But I do think the heart of that conservative cricket has been Williamson and Taylor basically being brilliant at reading conditions, going hard when they have to, soaking up the pressure of the best bowlers in the world and giving them their bowling attack, which is usually, again, their strength, a good chance at it. Well, Taylor, not, not so much this time. And Williamson, I mean, uh, you know, I've talked to his former coaches who don't know if he'll ever be the player that we saw before. They just don't think his elbow's going to heal properly. Um, I mean, he wasn't, when I say negative in the IPL, I mean he had a negative strike rate. <laughs> he, he was under a runner ball. It was incredible to watch someone that good be that bad. Um, there's still incredible talent in this team. Uh, Mark Chapman is a really good player, but he's never quite made it work. Uh, but one day when he does, it'll be quite good. Martin Guptill's still there, but again, feels like he's slightly over the edge. 
Devin Conway, we know how talented Devin Conway is. Um, this might be a tournament where he really needs to do some incredible work. Glenn Phillips is one of the best hitters of a cricket ball you'll see in the world. And if he's not, Finn Allen is, and he's the one behind him. There's talent there. And, of course, our man Daryl Mitchell is there as well who can do anything. He'll probably open the bowling in this tournament and uh, take 20 wickets. But you do look at it, and it does feel a little bit Southie, um, Bolt, uh, Guptill, um, Sodi, you know, uh, Nisham. Which one of those players is in career best form? It feels like they're all not, but we've all seen them be really successful as well. So, I don't know. It, this is, the, as I said, the part of the tournament where we're saying New Zealand won't do any good, and then uh, they do. I mean, as a group, they just click. And especially in the ICC event, they've got a habit of doing something extraordinary in every ICC event. And you wonder, where is this coming from? But they keep repeating the performances in these major tournaments. And that's why probably Jared is saying we won't be surprised Come November, we'll see them playing against Australia or England or India in the final. And that is very much a possibility. And, yeah, they might not have some exceptional talent, but they've got players who can do their job. On the occasion, under crunch situation, they always find a way to perform, and that's why they've been so successful. I, I do think, John, if their bowling lineup holds up, as it almost does in every tournament, if we see breakout tournaments from Phillips and Finn Allen and Conway probably is already at yeah. that level I, I don't think if you haven't seen those three going uh, all guns blazing in T20 cricket they can make a mess out of anyone they haven't had that in a long time really because they had you know they've been relying as I said on Williamson and Taylor to sort of nudge the ball around and then hit at the end you know Phillips Phillips and Allen are both capable of making 100 off 30 balls <laughs> you know we're talking about next level talent there so it could be incredible Okay, well, look, we're going to wrap things up up here. I'm going to get a quick prediction. Jared, who will win the 2022, as I just let you blow your nose, 2022 <laughs> T20 World Cup? Who will win? Uh, it should be Australia, shouldn't it, sadly? Abhishek? <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> I'd have to go with the same answer. I think it's going to be Australia. I don't think it's going to be India. <laughs> I only say sadly because they won the last one by accident, and now they've won yeah. two in a row and think they're yeah. really good at T20 cricket, despite the fact that Aaron Finch <laughs> is currently batting at number four, and yeah. they, they don't know what they're doing. Ever, we're, we've never been more advanced when it comes to T20 cricket, and yeah, you have a look at some of these teams, you're like, who picked these squads? <laughs> well, uh, I'm going to have to uh, complain. I think Australia look uh, heavy favourites, home conditions. Uh, they're going to be able to bully their opponents. And that bowling attack as well, I think. It, they, they look so well-rounded. They kind of stumbled upon a couple of players. And if that stoyness injury ends up allowing Cameron Green in, then, you know, they've got luck going their way as well. Uh, look, fascinating chat. Thanks so much uh, for that, Jared and Abhishek. The Men's Room, a talk sport podcast in partnership with Toolstation. From masculinity to mental health, friendship to fatherhood. Join Tom Skinner and Neil Razor Ruddock for the podcast that gets to the nuts and bolts of what it really means to be a man. Listen and follow now via your preferred podcast portal. The Men's Room, in partnership with Toolstation. Save 5% on everything you need for a whole month with the new Toolstation Club. Join today online, in-store, or via the app. Hold that, please. Level 5, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi, nice to meet you. Hi, now the most important thing to know is to Ertzen the Bypassal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what, sorry? The single most important thing is to Ertzen the Channelized Bimbingus at the Bypassal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? 
Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how.